When is hope more than hope? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. To the world, a hope is little more than a wish. It's a mere desire, perhaps with the tiniest scrap of evidence that the wish could come true. But as believers in the God of the Bible, our hope is much more solid. It's less like steam and more like steel. Jim will encourage us with some instruction about that, and we'll meet mysterious Melchizedek in today's lesson in the book of Hebrews. Here's part one of the sermon, We Have This Hope. Turn in your Bibles, please, with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. And tonight we want to start with verse 19. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. I hope you're not weary with Hebrews. It's an exciting book to study, but it is, it is not milk. It is meat. It's not milk. It's meat. Let's read these two verses. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this hope like a sure and firm anchor of the soul that enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a frontrunner because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Father in heaven, we're not used to this language. We talk about Jesus being our Savior, and we're comfortable with that. We talk about him coming back, and we're comfortable with that. We talk about him hearing and answering our prayers, and we forget that that's his function. That's what high priests do. High priests mediate. They, they go between the petitions of a needy person and the all-sufficient grace and power of the loving Creator himself. And Jesus is playing that role for us right now. If we live back in days when the temple was up and running, there would be hundreds of visual images that we would have in our minds about what priests are and what they do and how they function, about the high priests and about sacrifices and offerings and oblations and so much of what we see in our world today that has those titles is, is pretty corrupt and many times violates the scriptures themselves. But we thank you tonight for this incredible book that takes us behind the scenes into the holy of the holy of holies itself. And let's us, let's us relax in the knowledge that the one who is there ministering as our priest, our high priest, doesn't do so superficially. He does it out of the deep love he has for us and out of the deep understanding he has of the frailties of our lives and the frustrations of our experiences. Now, Father, strengthen us tonight. Uh, we've been warned already that this passage is going to have some things hard to be understood, complicated. We've been told by the writer that we're headed into meat, not milk. And he has taken the better part of the previous chapter to wake us up 
to speak to us in stern and very challenging ways. He doesn't want us to miss the message that is the foundation of our hope and the anchor of our soul and the assurance of our salvation. So he takes us to Jesus, to you, Lord Jesus. So by your Spirit tonight, be present in our midst. Hear our groanings. Hear our doubts, our fears. Hear our questions as we lift them to you. And, and by your Spirit, respond with answers, with grace to help in troubled times. Above all, Lord Jesus, give us receptive hearts and clear minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's not proper to just jump in there and start teaching, is it? No. You have to go back to chapter 5, where the author anticipated this very topic. Chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews. And there he announced that Jesus, if we're going to think about Jesus as the high priest, we have to deal with a promise or a prophecy from Psalm 110. And he quotes that prophecy. You'll see it there in chapter 5. You'll see it there in verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. The one who said, verse 5, you are my son, today I become your father. That's the father speaking about his relationship with the son, and that's not his incarnation, his birth, that's his resurrection. Acts, I think it's chapter what, 13, somewhere in there, it's very clearly stated that that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus was raised from the dead. The one who said that, that the father and son relationship was clarified and tightened in the resurrection of Jesus, also said in another passage, you are a priest, Jesus you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's a quotation of the Old Testament. Now, he warns us there that, uh, verse 11, I've got a lot to say about this, and some of it is hard to be understood. It's difficult. And he goes on then in the first part of chapter 6 to say that to engage this topic is to engage in meat. So if you choose to sleep, please don't snore. And if you do snore, a neighbor punch them so that uh, they won't wake up and catch about every sixth word and then go out thinking what the text says really says, and that's not true. Get the whole thing. It's a tough passage, okay? So take a big, deep breath, and let's jump in. In chapter 6, the passage we read, the author says there's a hope involved. We have this hope. Hope doesn't mean wish. Hope means confidence. You can often read it that way in Scripture. It's, it's a confidence, an expectation that we have full, absolute, absolute confidence will be met because that expectation rests upon a firm, immutable, unchangeable foundation. And that's what he says. He said we have this expectation. It's sure it's a firm like an, like an anchor would be to a ship. But in this case, it's for our soul. It enters into the sanctuary behind the curtain. And there he's using the typology or the picture of the 
temple, tabernacle, remember the back third of that building was the Holy of Holies. And it was separated from the front two-thirds of the building, which was the holy place, by a curtain. Remember that? You remember on the day Jesus died on the cross, when he shouted, it is finished. Remember what happened to that curtain? It was torn from top to bottom. It was rent. It was torn back. What was that all about? Well, it was Jesus demonstrating by the power of his spirit that the veil that separated the immediate presence of God, the Holy One, from the corrupt sinners, that veil that separated the two had been separated. It had been opened. We'll hear more about that in a couple of chapters. And what do we find behind the door? What do we find behind the curtain? Well, there's Jesus. That's what the text says. Jesus has entered there, verse 20. Jesus is in the holy of the holy of holies. Not the earthly human tabernacle that is a prototype or a picture, but in the real holy of holy of holies in heaven itself. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. He's there. He's arrived. And as the writer tells us, Jesus is our forerunner. He went there on our behalf. The picture there is, picture there is that he's the, uh, he's the anchor man on the four-man relay. That is, when he crosses the finish line, the other three players who are on the team cross with him. You follow me? You understand that illustration? That's what it's saying. Jesus is the anchor man in the race of our eternal salvation. And when he entered the holy, when he entered the holy of holies, when he sat down in the presence of the Father, he had accomplished everything necessary for all of us who are following him, trusting him, to also enter that place. He is the guarantee. He is the absolute proof positive that I'm going to heaven because I'm in Jesus and Jesus is already there. See that? That's what the writer is saying. So our hope doesn't rest upon some abstract philosophical concept, upon some suspicious report. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, his righteousness, and his present position in the very presence of God, what he called my father's house. And not just in the house, he's sitting on the throne at the right hand of his father. Can't get higher than that. Got it? He's there now, right? You believe that? Yes. Well, if you're in him, then you're guaranteed. You're guaranteed that same access. You're guaranteed because he makes the provision, he runs the race for us, he accomplishes our salvation, and he enters in and he's seated. That's the picture. Now, the writer picks up in chapter 7, chapter 7, this matter of what it means that Jesus was declared by God. He became a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, those three things. High priest means 
In any priestly system, there's one head dude. He's the high priest, the high priest. And we're going to study the qualifications that he has to meet. Jesus is our high priest. He's not just another priest. He is the high priest. In the Old Testament system, the high priest, once a year, went behind the curtain into the very holy of holies. He went there twice, and we'll study it. That's where Jesus is, because Jesus is the high priest. He doesn't, he doesn't go there for himself. He goes there as representative of the people. So Jesus is the high priest forever. It's an interesting play on that word. That means forever. That means he's never going to be back down from that throne. That means he can never be defeated, diminished, disqualified. His priesthood, the ministry of his priesthood, is a forever priesthood. How long is forever? Forever and ever. So it's a sure deal. Now, he's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? That's what we're going to study. Melchizedek is only mentioned two times in the Old Testament, just twice. And I want to make a little play on that tonight. He is mentioned only in the book of Genesis and in the book of Psalms. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek, this is an Old Testament person. This is a person that you meet back in the life experience of Abraham. This Melchizedek, he's king of Salem. He's priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham and blessed him as he was returning from defeating the kings. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, all the spoil. First of all, his name, Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. Also, it means king of Salem, which means king of peace. Hang on there. Without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he, this Melchizedek, remains a priest forever. Now, put that aside for a minute. Take a big, deep breath. Just reading it is exhausting. I am impressed with all the people in the Old Testament who had a, who had a genuine relationship with God, but they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They were not Abraham's descendants. They were Gentiles. They were us, other people, people who were not related biologically to Abraham and thus connected to the covenant God made with Abraham. Most of our focus, 99% of our preaching, focuses on Abraham, that covenant, and the benefits that that was to Abraham's generations or to the descendants of Abraham, and the Bible is full of that information. It also, part of that promise to Abraham God made was that all nations of the world would be blessed through the seed, 
one born out of Abraham's loins, Abraham's descendants. Now, it's proper that we do that because almost all of the Old Testament focuses on that. As a matter of fact, Genesis 1 through 11 doesn't focus on that. That's before Abraham received the covenant promise. But with the exception of Genesis 1 through 11, most of the rest of the Old Testament is focused on Abraham's descendants, those people we call Israelites or those people who we call Jews. We use those terms almost interchangeably. They are not the same. So the bulk of the Old Testament is talking about these descendants of Abraham. They were the ones to whom God gave the covenant of the law at Mount Sinai. And they are the ones to whom God gave the responsibility of the tabernacle and the priesthood and the sacrifices. They are the ones God promised the land of milk and honey. And their struggle is the struggle we read about in the Old Testament. So we often come to a wrong conclusion. The conclusion is that God is only interested in the Jews. That's wrong. But God's interest in the non-Jews, you know what I'm talking about? God's interest in the Gentiles can only be accomplished through what he's doing through the Jews because it's through the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through that lineage and those who are born out of that family that Jesus would come into the world through a Jewish maiden. And Jesus is God's only answer to the sin and corruption and bondage of the world. He is God's only answer to the Jews, and he's God's only answer to the Gentiles. So it is appropriate that the Bible speaks much about this, this genealogy. But I am always impressed, since I am a Gentile, I'm always impressed with the way God never forgot the Gentiles. If we could go to Israel together, one of the first places we'd stop is uh, Joppa. Yeah, we go, we go to Joppa. Uh, we go to Joppa. Now, let's point to this. Don't, don't, don't leave me here. We go to Joppa because at Joppa, two very famous Hebrew people learned that God was passionate about the Gentiles. One, of course, was Jonah, whom God challenged to go to Nineveh, a Gentile city, preach so that they would repent. And they did, and when they repented, Jonah pouted. And you know the story of how difficult it was for Jonah to finally get to know Nineveh. You know that story, shake your head. I, I, I assume I'm talking to that generation that's been exposed to these things. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. That's Jonah. Where did Jonah depart to meet the great fish? Joppa. Well, a couple of years later, along comes a guy by the name of Peter. And Peter was at Joppa waiting for lunch. He's up on the rooftop. And God interrupted his nap 
Three times God lowered a sheet with animals, impure animals, animals that the Jews under the law were forbidden to eat. And the voice from heaven says, Peter, rise, slay, and eat. And Peter says, not me. I'm a good Jew. I live by kosher. I can't eat those. I can't touch them. Three times God lowered the sheep with those animals. Three times told him that. Three times Peter responded. And what did God say? Peter, don't you call common what I call good. What was he saying? Well, Peter was pondering that. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's very clear. You told us that we're not to eat these unclean animals and that that's one of the ways we're distinguished from and separated from the Gentiles. They have no kosher. They have no this, 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 this. this. I'm, I'm a good kosher boy. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a good Jewish boy. I've always done it. What's, what's this business about? I'm now supposed to defy all those rules and get up and slay and eat unclean animals. What's the point? And then you say that I'm not to renounce or disqualify what you call clean. I don't get the point. The Spirit of God said, Peter, in just a few minutes, there's going to be a knock at the door. There's going to be some people down there wanting you to go with them. You know the story? Go with them. Ask no questions. Sure enough, knock, knock, knock. Peter says, I am he. Come with us. And then you go up to Caesarea to meet whom? Cornelius. A centurion who was in the Roman army, Gentile, non-Jew. And what did Cornelius say to Peter? Peter, in my daily devotions, as I seek God and lift my heart to God in prayer, an angel stood by me and said, go down to Joppa and call for somebody by the name of Peter, and he'll come tell you what you need to do to be right with me. So I sent, you come, tell us what must we do as Gentiles. And Peter began to explain how Jesus came and how he lived and how he died and how he rose and went back to heaven. And about this time, Peter had to stop preaching because a revival broke out. To those pinning their hopes on the law and Moses and the ministry of priests, Paul says, those hopes will fail. You've forgotten about this other priesthood that gets the job done. We can rest our hope in that high priest and his sacrifice. And somehow we have a layover in Joppa from where we'll depart tomorrow. The sermon is called, We Have This Hope. The entire message is yours on CD for a donation of $7 or more. For a gift of $66 or more, we'll send you all 19 discs in our study, God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. Hang on for ordering information. The last half hour has been brought to you by ordinary people doing something extraordinary. Thanks for praying and giving so that Right Start could be broadcast. Frankly, we could use some more listeners becoming partners. Would you pray about that? Thank you. To help out, it's as simple as a phone call, one 800 984-2313 That's 800-984-2313 You can donate securely on the website It's rightstartradio.org And you can play radio programs like this one from the site Hear complete sermons 
or direct new shows to your phone automatically with the Right Start podcast. You'll find a link to that option. You can shoot us an email and more, and we won't spam you if you do, we promise. RightStartRadio.org. RightStartRadio.org. Or write us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We'll travel from Joppa to Jerusalem tomorrow, and we'll turn from Melchizedek to Messiah. Please join us for Friday's Right Start.